learning. Soon to be Dr. McFarland. You are uh, blessed with a wonderful university chaplain, and I've enjoyed meeting him and being with him this week. Father, may the words of my lips and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. We have seen the homily dance with our eyes, now let's hear it with our ears. Some time ago I met a new friend in California and we got to a place where I could ask him some personal questions and I asked if he were a person of faith. He said, sure. Well, tell me about it. He said, well, I believe that everything is alive. I believe there's life in that tree and in that asphalt and in my knapsack. I said, that's interesting. What about faith in God? He said, well, I believe in God. Well, tell me about that. He said, well, I believe God is in everything. But most of all, I believe God is anything you want him to be. Well, that almost left me at a loss for words, but I managed to say, well, uh, that's interesting. <laughs> but I would think if there were a God, he wouldn't be whatever we wanted him to be. He would be what he is, and it would be a goal of life to find out who he is. The most important thing in life, A.W. Tozer, the Christian devotionalist and preacher said. The most important thing about any church, the most important thing about any man or woman is what they have come to understand and know and value and love deeply about the God of the universe. If God is to be known, it will be because he has revealed himself, uncovered, because he has introduced himself. Christians the great God of the universe has come personally to Jesus Christ and made himself known. Our text this morning is the well-known passage at the conclusion of Matthew's Gospel. It's known as the Great Commission. It's normally taken and used as a mission text, but people are sent out in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That word in or age means in to. It means to have the authority of a name, and as many of you know, name has a richer context biblically than for us. It means to be incorporated into the being, into the person, to have part of the life, to be into the name of the Father and Son and the Spirit. Not names, but the one name of this triune God. In the Old Testament, we learn his name. It's Yahweh, the altogether is in one, the one who can't be relegated to the past or pushed off to the future, but who is ever and always before us. And in the New Testament, we have this threefold name, a new name, one name of a God we know as Father, Son, and Spirit. So very briefly, there's a grammar that goes with that. God is one. Isaiah reminds us of that. He is the great God, one God. There is no other beside him. With our Muslim and Hebrew friends, we are monotheists. And as we talk with them, there's no good answer to that question. 
Let's turn it back. We believe in one God. We are monotheists together. The question is whether we're Unitarian or Trinitarian monotheists, the one God. This one God is three. We don't explain it with different modes or different faces. He isn't the Son this moment and the Father the next moment and the Spirit the next. And Gethsemane, the Son, beseeched the Father. He sought the Father. He prayed with Him. And these three are equal. In the text uh, we've just seen, one falls down and worships the Christ. You don't worship a created being. You don't worship one that has a beginning or an end. In Revelation, John bows down before an angel, and the angel isn't even embarrassed. He's almost afraid. No, don't worship me, he says. We only attribute worth, ultimate worth, to an uncreated being, Father, Son, and Spirit, the one God, the one name, three in one. Um, that's our triune faith. Having said it, I think there, there's a balance that comes. When we, when we look at life, we lose something and we don't know. Amazing, isn't it, that there's a spectrum of so many colors. When we think of the colors, we miss something if we don't put it back together in one bright, blinding light. Gregory Nazianz has uh, my favorite quote about the Trinity from a church father. He says, no sooner do I place before the mind the one than I am surrounded by the splendor of the three. No sooner do I distinguish the three than I am brought back to the one. So, Trinitarian prayer and worship and thinking is a kind of balance. When we think too much of the three, we, we correct to the one. When we think too much of the singularity, we correct back to the three. Abstracts? Perhaps. But I think not so. The Trinity literally radiates. It bristles with glowing meaning. In the first place, it means the deepest foundation of the world. The deepest reality of all things is relational love. God is one but not alone. He is single but not solitary. He is one but always Jonathan Edwards said that just as the sun floods the light, the morning day with light, so the heavens are flooded with the love of God. Romans 5, 5 says something very similar. We are, we are flooded, we are filled, not with our love for God, but with God's love for us. Before the triune God is a province, a solution, this Trinitarian, this Trinitarian monotheistic God. Other explanations of, of the world, the, the deepest sort of oscillate between two poles. Everything fundamentally can be understood as one, monism, or it can fundamentally be understood as polytheism, many gods. Behind every rock and tree, there's an animistic spirit. I, uh, I was going into the bus in San Francisco some time ago, and I 
They say we have bubbles. I don't think mine is particularly large, but a fellow in a $500 suit and alligator briefcase, whatever my bubble is, he sat down next to me on the bench uh, inside of it. And I thought it would slip over. He knew what he was doing, so I wouldn't defend him. And amazingly, he started to rock back and forth, going, um. So I had a lot of time to think. <laughs> and I knew he was making a statement to me. He was witnessing to the faith that he had. And here I was, a, a child of the creator of the universe, and I owe the responsibility to him and to my seatmate to witness somehow to him. So here was my low-key attempt. I said, excuse me, excuse me. He finally stopped and he opened an eye. I was kind of become lizard-like by this time. And I said, would you be interested in uh, talking about uh, why you're doing what you're doing? You could see the opening. I knew why he was doing it. He was like all of us, trying to ward off the pain to make his life come together. And we could go from there to talk about the God of the universe. But he said, I can't put in words where I am right now. And he went back to rocking. So I said, Lord, he's yours. Monism. <laughs> uh, no song, no harmony, no melody, no diversity. One. The fundamental reality of the universe centers in to one. Um, I have a friend who's an airline pilot. He uh, said one of his friends was flying a cadaver at 30,000 feet. He almost crashed because at 30,000 feet, he heard from the middle of the plane, uh, and the air had expanded in the cadaver's lungs. The easiest sound in the world to make is the schwa. Uh, uh, it's the sound of monism. On the other side is the sign of polytheism. Everything is in one. Everything is chaotic. Everything is diverse. The question is, how can anything ever belong together? I went to a uh, Christian film festival jointly sponsored by Fuller Seminary and the Directors Guild and Sunset Boulevard. All week was films, the image was, the theme was Images of the City, Los Angeles in this case. The two films I saw, one was L.A. Story with Steve Martin, not a very good film, but funny. Martin was a uh, weather forecaster and he had to get away one week, so he tried, unsuccessfully, but he tried it to tape record all the weather ahead of time for one week. And in L.A. it was easy. You just, hi, this is Steve, and the weather is 72 and smoggy. It's Tuesday today, the weather here is 72 and smoggy. Wednesday, the point is, it's all the same. Monochrome. The other film we saw was Blade Runner. It opens with dripping acid rain. No problem with monochrome there. Tribes, gunfire, machine guns. How can all this diversity, how can all this chaos belong together? The triune God tells us that diversity and harmony belong together. That's the fundamental reality of all things. God didn't have to create a world which is so luscious, so rich, so sweet, so 
past. Theology has found a wonderful word. You've heard it, parachoresis. It means to dance around. You've seen it circulate, to go around together in one rich, harmonious dance of love. In mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis wrote in Christianity, God is not an impersonal or a static thing. He's not even just one person, but a dynamic, pulsating activity, a life, a drama. Well, most of you will not think me a record of the kind of dance. Here's the genius in that picture. A self-centered life wants everything to orbit around it. A self-centered life is static, it's dull, it doesn't move. But the life of God, we learn, is altogether different. The Father, Son, and the Spirit doesn't ask the other to revolve around it. They revolve around other. They, each other, they are inclined into each other. A paracoretic dance of love. Thank you so much for that vision. All that the Father is, He gives to the Son, except that He's the Father. All that the Son is, He gives to the Father, except that He's the Son. Their distinctiveness is the very, the very reason and source that they can give and come together. Abstract, how to make all this sing live and applied. I thought of if there's a Christian, if there's a Jewish musical, it's Fiddler on the Roof. If there's a Christian one, it's Le Miserable. And towards the, towards the end of that wonderful musical, there's a lyric that I've actually never liked. Love the music, but it says, to love is to touch the face I haven't liked it because it seemed too easy, too sweet, too sentimental to kind of honor and revere that romantic love that we all need and want. It's important, it's God-given, but it seemed to be untrue, that lyric, to the broader message of the musical. It's Victor Hugo's great Christian novel, and you remember Many of you, it starts out, it's moved, it's motivated with just the opposite direction. Jean Valjean is freed, he's liberated, he's set loose by an unimaginable act of grace, a gift by a village priest. And as he leaves, the priest says to him, Jean Valjean was touched by the face of God, and because of that, he could love. How could I make that live for myself, for what I knew we would be in here? What did it look like in the life I had lived? I thought, I think appropriately, of three things. The first I've forgotten since it happened, I've never shared it before, not once. In my uh, seminary years, in the 1970s, I met Martin Luther King Sr. 
You know by that time his son had been taken by assassination, but you may not remember his wife had been too. Gunned down at the organ in church while playing. And he said to me, you know, the world has taken everything from me it can. The world has taken from me everything I love in this world, but there's one thing she cannot take from me. And that is my ability to love in return. Because I know I've been loved by an ever-living, everlasting love of a father who has loved his son and who has reached out to me in the power of his spirit. That's being touched by the face of God. I thought of another, Nikki Cruz. He was a, a gang member who was miraculously and dramatically saved. You may have read his story in a book decades ago now, The Cross and the Switchblade. He told, he told his own story in a book called Run, Baby, Run, but 20 years later, he wrote a book uh, that was not as popular, not as well read, but really an amazing book called The Magnificent Three. And then he said, you know, when I came to Christ, I didn't know anything about anything except this Christ who loved me and changed me. But in the 20 years since, the most important thing in my devotional that which is my rock, that which, which I lean into, that which keeps me stable when I shake, that which I learn more for than anything else, Nikki Cruz, is to have a relationship with God as Father and Son and Spirit. It's really an amazing book, very classic, Nikki Cruz. There is an anonymous prostitute in it, there is a saved drug dealer, there is the only book on the Trinity I have on my shelves with this, A Knife Fight. <laughs> but in it also are chapters two by two, appreciating each of them. He starts with his Savior, the Son, who he saw first, and his appreciation of the Savior almost, it does, turn into a prayer, much like the patristic fathers. He writes, I remember when I saw you for the first time. I saw you were human just like me. I saw that you had courage, you had guts, you had something I couldn't describe, something I'd never seen before. Something incredibly strong and tender all at the same time. I saw that you had the power to squash me like a bug. And instead you poured out your blood to save me, to love me, to heal my aching heart. He has chapters on the Father, too. He said, Father, I have come to appreciate you, not just that you created me, but from before the foundation of the world, you loved your son, you were father to your son, and now you have adopted me into your holy and forever family. He has chapters on the Spirit. He says, as magnificent as it is to have a holy father, to have a precious, strong, tender, and sweet, saving Savior, it would avail him nothing at all. 
if there weren't a force and strength and power that drew him, that attached him, that changed him, that applied him, that saved him. Martin Luther King, Seymour, Nikki Cruz. John, is there something closer to your own life where you've seen recently? I thought of the organist, the minister of music with whom I've served for the past almost 10 years, really the human instrumentality that I accepted the call for, Beth Singleton. She and her husband, Craig, used to be on our music faculty. He is now chair of the department in a neighboring uh, university. They have led us in wonderful soaring and dancing and musical offerings of worship that I have treasured when my sister fell and had traumatic brain injury. I was ministered to by Beth's voice, which said, God, how desperate for you we are. Wonderful moments. But one of our students at the seminary, when she met Beth Singleton, said, you know, I'd always been looking for the combination of Christian artistry and ministry's heart, and I'd never seen it before Beth, they fused in her. You cut her skin, her husband says, and she bleeds ministry. And she does prayerfully and pastor to our church in so many deep and rich and wonderful ways on her retirement day, which I just hope is, it needs to be just retirement from that particular set of responsibilities. She needs to serve Christ forever. There's no such thing as retirement. God's kingdom is work and rest, work and rest. It's the seven-day cycle, but not retirement. But on her retirement from our church family, she had a passion for the nation. She had a passion for diversity. And we have a Chinese fellowship that is a symbol in our church over the past five years. We translate our services into Chinese all because of the Holy Spirit. As he worked through the vision and passion and love and joy of Beth Singleton. And at her retirement, the Chinese family gathered around her and presented her their love. And she looked back at them and she said, you know, when you were coming and you were gathering and you were folding your hand, I wondered how I could encourage you. And the way I knew I could was lunch. She would come to church and rehearse the choir at 8 o'clock and do an 8.30 service, then teach an international Sunday school lesson, then do a 11 o'clock choir, and then, I believe the busiest minister of music in America, uh, she cooked a dinner. For our, at the end of the day, 40 or 50 people that would stay and gather, and she looked at them and said, I wonder how I could encourage you. And I realized it was this lunch. And every week when I go and buy the groceries and when I cook, I'm praying for you. That's a rich, diverse kingdom, Trinitarian vision. That's God's great kingdom richness. Every tongue and tribe and nation will praise his name. Three in one, one in three. Father, Son, and Spirit. C.S. Lewis said when we give ourselves to that, we are going, his words now, into the hearts of all things. And there is no other place and no other way 